Star Wars 7x7 episode 2303. The Bondsman's Guild, the Mandalorian Covert, and the Empire, or the remnant thereof. What they know about each other is what we're primarily going to be talking about as part of our Mandalorian rewatch today. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So today we are continuing our look at The Mandalorian in Season 1 episodes in light of our knowledge of the entirety of the season. And today we're looking particularly at Episode 3, which is The Child. So... In that episode, of course, the Mandalorian arrives back on Navarro, delivers the child, then has second thoughts, and then kidnaps the child, and then there's a big shootout with the entire Bondsman's Guild, and ultimately, the Covert comes to rescue him, and he zips away. So that's your really fast <laughs> recap of what happens in the episode. So let's talk about the Mandalorian Covert and what is known about it. From the perspective of the Bounty Hunters Guild, they only know our Mandalorian, Din Djarin. That's it. They don't seem to know that there are any other Mandalorians on Navarro. And the same goes for this Remnant of the Empire, which is currently just represented by the client, Werner Herzog, but is also going to be soon represented by Moff Gideon and Giancarlo Esposito. And it doesn't seem like the Empire is aware that there is a group of Mandalorians hiding out on Navarro. And we get a little more solid info on that when Paz Vizla, who is the heavy Mandalorian, who is voiced by Jon Favreau, says, you know, that's why we're hiding like sand rats and we can only go out one at a time. And I guess you could make the case for, oh, you know, only one goes out, you know, and then you gotta wait a couple hours before the other one goes out. But you know, certainly Paz and Din look very different from each other, so you'd have to imagine that people would go, hey, that doesn't look like the Mandalorian that I saw the other day. So that's odd, but, you know, seems to be reinforced. And it also seems to be reinforced by the client, who in the tense exchange at the beginning of the episode with the Mandalorian says, you know, it's harder to find the Mandalorian than the steel, referring to the Beskar, but probably also to the nerve and temperament of a bounty hunter. But for the purposes of our discussion, the fact that you know there aren't a lot of Mandalorians around to be found. And it is kind of funny too when the armorer tells the Mandalorian that when he gets his new you know, Mandalorian armor that he should be careful because it's going to draw many eyes. And it certainly seems to do that when he comes strutting into the bar to meet with Grief Karga. And yet nobody's asking him where he's getting his new armor pieces, whether it was the pauldron that he got in episode one or whether it was, you know, the new chest plate and thigh plates and all that stuff that he got in episode three. Nobody's saying, hey, dude, where are you getting your armor? This is pretty sweet. Meanwhile, as far as the Empire goes, Grief Karga says that it's just mercenaries and warlords. So he doesn't believe that the Empire is an organized threat. He basically just, you know, says mercenaries and warlords and it's no big deal but doesn't seem to be aware that there were any operating on Navarro and doesn't seem particularly surprised or concerned. Mandalorian is shocked by this, but seemingly more from the perspective of just having no love for the Empire at all, and this is the first opportunity that he's had to talk about it with Grief Karga, the fact that they are there on Navarro. He's like, what are they doing here? 
Meanwhile, when he's back down with the Covert, there's that whole conversation where the Armorer says, you know, our secrecy is our safety, and our safety is our survival, or our safety is our secrecy, and etc., etc. You know what I'm talking about. So, they are aware that they are in hiding, and for, you know, the most part, I would think that if you are keeping a whole Mandalorian Covert in hiding you would have to know what you're keeping them in hiding from. So there's every reason to think that they're aware of the Empire and its strength in the region, in the Parsec, if you will. Maybe they agree with Grief Karga's sentiment that it is just, you know, a mercenary warlord situation. Maybe they think that it's still just as dangerous as a result. But the Covert is aware that the Empire is operating on Navarro because the Mandalorian has communicated that, but it ultimately brings me to the idea that it isn't really communicated clearly that the Mandalorian has decided to go against the Empire and the Bondsman's Guild by breaking his contract, breaking the code of the Guild, and going to rescue Baby Yoda. So, you know, it does leave one to wonder how they found out, how the Mandalorian Covert found out that all this was going on with the Bondsman's Guild. I'm presuming that maybe somebody was keeping watch, somebody is undercover, and then again, there's probably a lot of shooting happening and probably alerted the Covert to what was going on. But this exposure of the Covert at the end of the episode, you know, the Mandalorian says, you know, you're gonna have to relocate the Covert, and Paz says, this is the way, and... That should be the way, but apparently they don't get to relocate it in time, or they decide that, hey, you know, what's the safest thing? We could probably hide in the same place. They'd never expect to look for us there. They'd think we probably relocated. I don't know. I'm gonna guess that it's probably that they didn't figure it out fast enough, unfortunately. In the meantime, however, they lay waste to the Bondsman's Guild. I mean, all of those guys and gals that had their little tracking fobs light up when the Mandalorian pulled his business and kidnapped the child. Like, that was a lot of people. And those Mandalorians were shooting them all up. I mean, that's after the Mandalorian himself took out a bunch. But then all of the Covert showed up. And so you have to imagine that by the end of this episode, Grief Karga's Bondsman's Guild is utterly decimated, just wiped out. And this is a big problem for Grief Karga as a result. So by the end of the episode, when, you know, these three groups knew very little about each other, comparatively speaking, now they all know that they're out in the open and the Bondsman's Guild has taken severe casualties. Now, I have just a couple more notes, but before I do, the quick reminder for today to please rate and review the podcast if you're listening on iTunes. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. If you are not listening on iTunes, then that's quite all right. I really appreciate any positive thing you care to say in any way that you can comment, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or at home base for the show at SW7x7.com. But the reply, the rating, the review on iTunes specifically helps the majority of podcast listeners, about four out of five, listen to the show on iTunes. That really does help surface Star Wars 7x7 when more people are looking for a daily dose of Star Wars joy. So again, thank you so much for considering taking the time to leave a rating or review. And if you have done it already, thank you so much for your support. Now about those couple last notes. 
As far as the eavesdropped conversation when the Mandalorian listens into the client and Dr. Pershing talking before the Mandalorian gets in to rescue the child, they talk about extracting the material. That's the particular phrase, but we don't know what the material is. I think the presumption along with the gene farm thing that's mentioned later on in the season has to do with getting the DNA out of Baby Yoda and heck, Let's even go here, the possibility of getting midichlorians out of Baby Yoda. So I look forward to more details about that. And the other thing is just another observation about the Mandalorian seeming not to be, you know, all that polished in his skills. And for this episode, the reason why I say that is knowing that there had been multiple fobs issued between IG-11 and the Trandoshans who showed up on Arvala 7 trying to get the child. You know, the Mandalorian comes back and is like, how many fobs did you give out? And how many people had tracking fobs to grief Karga? And yet, and yet, even though this thing was cycling in his head and he had those two run-ins with other people who had fobs, he still just comes traipsing down the main avenue in Navarro with Baby Yoda in the hover pram exposed and just kind of trailing behind him, right? Like anybody could have just walked up and gone yoink and grabbed the pram in theory and run away. So it does seem really strange that he just, you know, kind of walked down Main Street with the pram and, you know, thought nothing bad would happen, especially considering what he'd been through and what he suspected. Maybe that will eventually become part of his character growth. We will see. But that is going to do it for our deeper dive into The Sin, which is, again, episode three from season one of The Mandalorian. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show as well. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.